Hi, everybody. Welcome to Plugged In, Con Edison's podcast about all things related to energy. I'm Philip O'Brien. Today, we're going to talk about the recent power crisis in Texas. It was a suffocating stew of worst case climate consequences. Think about it record cold weather, peak power demand, power plants knocked out, rolling blackouts. And to many energy experts, it was also a peek into the future. What do these scientists see? Climate change is trouble, big trouble for power grids. Here's reaction from White House Energy Advisor Liz Sherwood Randall. Climate change is real and it's happening now and we're not adequately prepared for it. And in particular, power grids across our country, particularly in Texas, are overloaded by the demands that are placed on them under these circumstances and the infrastructure is not built to withstand these extreme conditions. Just a month before the Texas power crisis, Con Edison published a new climate resiliency plan. The plan lays out the company's view on what climate change is likely to look like in New York in the decades ahead. Here to discuss the plan and the broader challenges that climate change will bring for all utilities are Charlie Vemeister, project manager for strategic planning at Con Edison, and Michael Girard, professor and director at Columbia University's Sabin Center for Climate Change Law. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Michael, let's begin with some context, if we could. What approach have electric grid operators taken in the past to withstand severe weather? Well, they have tended to prepare for short-term anticipated extreme events uh, where a lot of trees will be down and so forth. But there has been very little anticipation of the future uh, challenges that the impacts of climate change will bring. Most of the electric utility industry in the United States has really been oblivious uh, to the dangers caused by climate change. So how have utilities been dealing with climate change so far when it comes to system planning and operations? There's been very little planning for uh, the impacts of climate change. Most utilities traditionally have looked at what have been the past events, and they've anticipated that the worst past events will be the worst future events. But we know that's no longer true. The past weather is different from what the future weather will be. And so the traditional methods of utility planning have been sorely inadequate. Charlie, you could join in on this too, if you would. What what are some of the new approaches that utilities should begin to start to conceptualize? Well, first, I agree with with Michael. A lot of what was done in the past is people reacting to events and building back better against that event, and not necessarily anticipating that that is just a precursor to worse events coming forward in the future. So what we've done is through our climate study, took a look at what the climate scientists are telling us could be the future events that we're going to be living through, um, what the future climate might might be like, what the new normal essentially is for our business going forward. And in that new normal, it will enable different events, stronger events, maybe more frequent events than we've seen in the past. And we need to be prepared for that. And how do we get prepared for that? 
by taking that that information, that forward-looking information, and pulling it into the processes, the specs that we currently use, so that not only are we just building a stronger facility, but we're anticipating that it may see higher sea level in the future. And that higher sea level also means the flood levels might be higher in a storm, so that we've accounted for that in our, our uh, anything we build new or anything that we wind up replacing over time to make sure that it will be in its life cycle where it's living, it'll be able to endure that environment that it's working in and hopefully handle any extreme event that happens then. We can't, we didn't get, I have to say that the climate science wasn't able to give us a strong feeling of what, how intense these events will be in the future. All we know is that the change in climate will enable stronger events. So there is some judgment call on our part as to how far we go. And a lot of it has to do with how much uh, capital you have to spend to get there and how much of a burden that puts on our customers. Michael, what stands out for you in Con Edison's approach with this? Um, and is any of that applicable to utilities in other parts of the country or even the world? Con Edison retained outside climate scientists to come up with uh, projections uh, specific to the Con Edison service territory for what uh, the weather conditions, the climate related conditions may be several decades out. Uh, they looked at heat and humidity and storms and flooding and sea level and all of these indicators to come up with these projections. Um, so far as I know, there are no other electric utilities in the country that have done that. They have mostly relied on some, uh, if they've looked at climate at all, they've mostly relied on not very geographically specific projections. They haven't gone as far out as Con Edison has done. So uh, Con Edison is really advancing the state of the art in how all of these climate impacts should be uh, studied and, and put into the operational and uh, capital planning process. This, the, the techniques that Con Ed used uh, should be applied on a nationwide and even on a global scale. But for the time being, the Con Edison plan sort of homes in on what you think would likely happen here in New York. Charlie, could you explain how that was chosen? You mentioned coastal storm surge, higher temperatures. What else can we expect? Well, you're going to have the, the potential for you know stronger winds, just sustained winds, events that we're we're starting to see a little bit of today. Um, take a look at something like uh, Harvey down in Texas. And the amount of rain that was dumped on that area, along with the storm surge and the winds, you know, these events are, are coming. They aren't happening here right now, but the potential for them to start happening here, you know, go up in the future. So, you know, we took a look at the, the different pathways that the climate scientists are looking uh, out at and where our potential environment may go in the future. And when we did the study, we took a look at two different paths. One where there's some mitigation of climate um, change that occurs globally. Uh, and then the other pathway, which is apparently the one we're on, that where there's no mitigation, what, whatever greenhouse gases are being put into the atmosphere, that's gonna result in a, a warming of the climate and a lot of other um, subsequent impacts because of higher moisture content and and higher sea levels. So 
we could have picked a lower pathway, but it didn't make sense because even with the climate accord in place and everybody trying to do what they can, the global impact is not going to be seen in the near term. So we need to know that the path the climate pathway we're on right now will be continuing for quite a while, out to 2050, maybe even to 2080, before you're actually going to see the impact of people mitigating climate change. We're adapting to it. So we're going to make sure that we have that ad adaptation in place. So that's why we picked a higher, higher, um, higher pathway, the one that we're on right now, to use as our reference point. And it also corresponded with other studies that were being done. Uh, the city had a study going on, um, the MTA, the Port Authority, they both, you know, they're all using similar pathways to us so that we're all designing to the same um, probabilities going forward. Uh, so that nobody's behind the other and nobody's too far ahead of the other. Uh, it's, a, it's a balancing act, like I said earlier, between how much you need to spend in capital to, to create reliable and resilient services in these new environments and what the customers can, can bear uh, on their, their bill. That's a big concern for us. You, you both have mentioned that the, um, the need to mitigate the effects of what's been the fossil burning, um, fossil fuel burning dependency we've had that brings us in part to this big problem. So with that in mind, the replacements that are coming along, renewables, EVs, transmission lines for renewables, all those things, how might they, that new infrastructure, be affected by se the severe climate we might expect? Well, I think if it's done right, it will be less vulnerable to the kind of climate disruptions than we've seen. In the first place, to the extent we have more distributed generation uh, resources, it's less vulnerable to failure by central station generators. And uh, if it's kind of just planning, you have a greater ability to isolate parts of the system that are having problems. A problem in one section won't cascade to the rest of the system. Additionally, electric vehicles with their batteries will have the potential to provide distributed storage um, when we have that technology all set up. So in general, a distributed electricity system uh, can have greater resilience than one that is more focused on a few big power plants. Charlie, from where you sit, what's the biggest challenge ensuring resiliency into the future for Con Edison? Well, to, to, to Michael's point, I mean, there's a lot more dependency on electricity going forward, electric vehicles, the, the move to electrification of heat. And so our customers are depending upon uh, higher reliability and resilience in delivering that energy to them from whatever source it's coming from. And those, that's changing as well for us. So the sources of, of energy that we're bringing to our customers is changing. So it's renewable, it's, it's you know, in different locations, it's distributed energy sources. So, all, you know, the environment that the marketplace, I guess, that we're working within is, is changing as well. So we have to make sure with each of the steps that we take to make sure that we can still deliver power to our customers from whatever source it's coming from in a reliable and resilient fashion is our future. That's what we're looking for right now. We're very focused on that. This study and the implementation plan we put together has helped us make those steps going forward, but there's a lot of work for us to do yet. If I could just add that it, it would 
seemed that greater reliance on electricity would make us more vulnerable. But uh, we saw in the recent Texas crisis that often oil, heat, and gas heat don't work if you don't have electricity because you need pumps and other controls that, that rely on electricity. And so it's not the situation that it's much better to have traditional oil and gas uh, sources because they're more reliable. It turns out that they're not. Uh, Michael, you just mentioned Texas again. And what is it going to take to convince other utilities to prepare for the changes that will come about with climate change? I think that a lot of the um, initiative has to come from the state public utility commissions, uh, which really determine the permissible expenditures by these companies. Um, uh, the uh, Con Ed study uh, resulted uh, from uh, Con Edison working together with the Public Service Commission and the Saban Center and other offices to come up with a rate plan that provided for this and had this as an approved expenditure. I think that most utilities are reluctant to spend a lot of money unless the uh, unless it's part of the rate plan and they know they can get uh, recovery for it. So I think that it, uh, the public utility commissions need to uh, step up like the New York State Public Service Commission did and say this is necessary for the fundamental requirements of reliability. These are important expenditures and the utility uh, ought to undertake this work and will approve it. In other parts of the country, not in New York, there is some continued denial of climate change or its impacts. Um, and so there are parts of the country that where the public utility commissions don't want to acknowledge um, these risks that are coming up. Fortunately, we have not faced that in New York. Stasis. Could it be at all because of or in part because of uh, the pandemic and all the implications that that has brought? Are we, are we sort of like shelving this for the moment while we get over this other huge hurdle? Uh, no, the stasis certainly predated the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic can be another reason why you don't have pressure, but we didn't have uniform national momentum even before the pandemic struck. As you know, there was a recent uh, report released which estimated a um, $500 billion investment gap uh, for utilities addressing climate change just in the United States. Could you expand on that estimate? Sure. It was an estimate from the consulting firm ICF, which also worked with Con Ed on, on this study. And uh, it was just the investor-owned utilities, uh, so it didn't include the Tennessee Valley Authority and others, and it did not include the interstate transmission network. So it's not what is necessary to for the whole U.S. electrical system, just the investor-owned utilities. Um, their estimates of this $500 billion, 60% were uh, to address rising temperatures, 22% uh, were to address wildfires, uh, 13 percent um, extreme storms and 5 percent sea level rise. Now, this report came out just before the Texas energy crisis. And so if you include the, uh, the cost of preparing for extreme cold, that would be uh, additional uh, uh, dollars that would have to be spent. Speaking of dollars spent, listeners might be thinking, you know, this all sounds great. Resiliency sounds great. But what's it going to cost me? Charlie? Sure. Um, so the big thing is when we did the vulnerability study, 
we took a, a broad brush look at if we had to adapt to some of the worst case conditions that we're seeing going forward, if we took our system as it stood in 2018 at that time and put it into those future conditions for just for climate change, what impacts would we have and what investments would we need to make by say 2050 to make sure that our system could operate in that environment? And we had run numbers that ran anywhere from about $3 billion to $5 billion by that time. I mean, it's not that you're going to do it all at one shot. You'll do it over time. But that's just related to climate change. Um, some of that may wind up being incorporated in some of the changes we have to do to our market. When you talk about electrification, when you're talking about electric vehicles, when we do things in our, in our infrastructure to support that growing marketplace, we can incorporate some of these uh, costs in that. So whether we spend that full five or, or three or some number in between, it's gonna be a little harder for us after a while to, to break it apart because it'll be part of other efforts that we do. But as long as we have the thought process in place to make sure that we are protecting our system in that future environment, whatever form it takes, it'll be in those numbers. And hopefully it won't be, you know, if, if we do our job right, it, it won't be a, a hard burden on the customers. And Michael, more broadly, uh, an early sense of the magnitude across the country for this? Well, as, as we said, the $500 billion from the ICF report is only a, a partial estimate. But I think a key point is uh, what is the burden on consumers if we don't do that? If you ask the people in Texas who are freezing in dark in the dark for a week, or if you ask the people in California whose power was uh, cut off intermittently over a period of a longer period because of the wildfires, or if you ask the people in the Con Edison service territory who were out of power for a time after Hurricane Sandy, all of them would love to have uh, spent a little bit more money in their bills if they would still have power. As a general matter, uh, the costs of not undertaking resilience are immensely larger than the cost of having resilience. Uh, that uh, having the additional precautions, which as Charlie said, are often part of expenditures you would undertake anyway, are, are it's much more cost effective than to wait till the disaster happens and then deal with the loss of, of power, the loss of services, and then to fix everything that was destroyed during the extreme uh, weather events. So that from an overall perspective, it is a very, very sound uh, decision to make these investments, even if you're only looking at the economics of it. And and I'd like to add to that. Um, so even FEMA, you know, has come to realize that they are looking to try and invest in uh, hardening efforts by uh, different groups, utility, you know, municipalities, possibly utilities, or other uh, um, entities to invest in hardening beforehand rather than the expenditures uh, after the fact on insurance claims and you know FEMA money that has to be put out after a major emergency. They recognize that the value of that upfront money is worth it. Is there anyone in, on a professional level, energy industry professional scientific level that would take issue with this? It's hard to imagine uh, any professionals who would disagree with this. We certainly haven't seen any pushback at all around the country 
uh, on the idea of, of stepping up resilience efforts. Obviously, there are going to be um, disagreements about exactly what to spend where and when, but the overall thrust of them, I think there's a true professional consensus on it. So are you optimistic, Michael, that this could be adopted? Well, what we really need is, is, is momentum and pressure at the state level. And we're only seeing that in a few states. Uh, I think we need to have more of that. I'm optimistic that if uh, people organize and really think about this and actually, frankly, look at the success that Con Edison is having, that we'll see this happen in more states. But right now, um, in, in most states, there's neither resistance nor momentum. And, and so you just have um, stasis. Uh, we need to have uh, more affirmative motions uh, to require uh, the utilities and other states to do this. So, Charlie, what's the next steps for Con Edison? It, it's not finished. So we, we did our vulnerability study. We, we worked out what, where our sensitivities are. We went through an implementation plan last year to try and work out how we're going to incorporate this thought process in everything we do going forward. And now we're actually, you know, adapting. We're, we're actually implementing all of those those thoughts going through this. So we will be coming up with, you know, what we think we need to expend in the near term and in the long term, uh, along with the other market improvements that we're making to to satisfy our customer base. And we've got a, you know, the potential for a rate case coming up. You know, we're going to put forward what we think is um, is necessary and then determine how much uh, we can actually get done. I mean, we do have to recognize the Public Service Commission does have their input as to that's that's great. You want to try and go this far, but maybe not all at one time. And we'll have to see how that that plays out. And this, of course, is not the only climate-related expenditure that Con Ed is going to have to undertake. Uh, New York has the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, the New York State statute. That's one of the strongest in the in the country. New York City has its own law called Local Law 97. Uh, these laws, which are all aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions as opposed to adaptation, are also going to require some very significant changes to the uh, electric system. Uh, so uh, Con Edison and the other utilities are going to be looking both at the legal requirements to reduce their, uh, their emissions and uh, the importance of adapting to the climate change that's coming and working together. This will uh, yield a plan to deal with, uh, with the, both the causes and the impacts of climate change. Yeah, I, I would reinforce that because it's a collaborative effort. Even up to now, it's been a collaborative effort with us. We had a working group that's been helping us through. Michael's been on that working group since its inception, uh, helping us making sure that we're you know paying attention to you know, what has to be done, when it has to be done, and then coming up with rationale to, to help other people understand why it has to get done. Uh, so it's really been um, a collaborative effort going forward, and it, it will be. We're, we're still meeting with a working group as we go forward as how we're doing, where, we, where we're getting uh, on these different issues, and what the, we can expect. And that getting their support on the way is very helpful. That was great, gentlemen. Thank you so much for participating. That's Charlie V. Meister, Project Manager, Strategic Planning at Con Edison, and Michael Gerard, Professor and Director 
of Columbia University's Sabin Center for Climate Change Law. That's our podcast for today. If you have any thoughts or questions, please email us at podcasts at coned.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, you can follow us on social media. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Our handle is at Con Edison. I'm Philip O'Brien, and until next time, be safe and plugged in.